Welcome to the Covenant Women Podcast with Dr. Adonica Howard-Brown, your on-demand source for Holy Ghost-filled preaching and teaching. You bring blessing everywhere you go. You bring freedom. You bring liberty. Out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Be refreshed, encouraged, and strengthened as you hear the Word today. Colossians chapter 2. Who can tell me what it's talking about? Who wants to? <laughs> you want to? Uh, I got a lot out of it, but uh, what I mostly got out of it is talking about like, don't get like, persuaded by peace and angels and and stuff. I amplified it and talked about it. Okay, well, let's, let's read all the way through. Now, one of the, one of the uh, scriptures down here is actually talking about baptism, down in verse 12. But uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Let me, what I really want to get at is the last, few, the last few scriptures, but I wanted to read the whole thing. Colossians 2 and verse 1. For I want you to know how great is my solicitude for you, how severe an inward struggle I'm engaged in for you and for these believers at Laodicea, and for all who, like yourselves, have never seen my face and known me personally. For my concern is that their hearts may be braced, comforted, cheered, and encouraged, as they are knit together in love, and that they may come to have all the abounding wealth and blessing of assured conviction of understanding, that they may become progressively more intimately acquainted with, and may know more definitely and accurately and thoroughly that mystic secret of God, which is in Christ, the anointed one. Remember, the things of God are not grasped by the head, but they're grasped by the heart. It's all about the heart. It's about knowing him on the inside, becoming familiar with him. And the only way we can know God and become familiar with Him is through His Word. We can't make up stuff about God. We can't try and super-spiritualize Him out of some funky ideas in our brain because, let's face it, everything that we know has come in through our five physical senses and everybody has an opinion about God. Everybody has some opinion. And, and most of what people in themselves know about God isn't true, isn't accurate. We can only know God, we can only know Him by what He has told us about Himself. And God doesn't hide Himself from us. The Bible says the secret things belong to God, but what has been revealed belongs to us. And there's so much in this, in this Word that has been revealed that we can't even see. The Bible talks about how in the Old Testament they read God's Word with a veil over their face. In other words, they were reading the words, but they didn't comprehend it. But because we're born again, you see, Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, he actually spent at least 40 days with his disciples, opening up the Word of God to them and showing them himself and God's plan in the Old Covenant. In all that had been written, in all that had been prophesied, he said, you see the scripture? This is not about David. This is about me. And this is what God was doing. See, nobody knew what God was going to do because the Bible says if, if anybody had known it, then they would not have crucified Jesus because they would have known God's plan. God did not let his plan be known. The devil thought he was getting rid of Jesus. See, when in the Garden of Eden, when, when uh, God spoke to the devil and, and, you know, and, and Adam and Eve, and he told Eve that you're, you're going to have a seed. 
it's going to be a very special seed. And he told the devil, this seed is going to bruise your head and you're going to bruise his heel. And, and so why do you think the devil tried to kill Abel? He saw God's favor on Abel. Cain was the firstborn, but God's favor was on Abel because of his obedience. And so what did he do? Killed the first one. Motivated Cain to kill his own brother. And all through, he was looking for the seed. Look, it was, is it this one? Is it that one? Is it this one? And he, he was always trying to destroy the seed, destroy the seed, destroy the anointed one. And so when, when Jesus came, he thought he'd do the same thing and take Jesus out. The devil thought he won for a very brief moment. <laughs> and then he got the surprise of his life. Amen. When Jesus was raised from the dead. And so... Um, we can know the Father. Thank God for all the revelation that we do have in the new covenant. Thank God that Paul, got in, that Paul ended up in prison and had nothing else to do but write. Because we wouldn't have had all of this. That John was exiled to Patmos and sat and wrote. So thank God they stopped long enough out of their busyness to sit and write. So there might be some things that you think, you know, what am I doing here? Just do it. Do what you need to do there. You don't know what God's plan is. Amen. Just serve serve God wherever you find yourself. In him, all the treasures of divine wisdom, comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God, and all the riches of spiritual knowledge and enlightenment are stored up and lie hidden. I say this in order that no one may mislead and delude you by plausible and persuasive and attractive arguments and beguiling speech. See, There's a lot of opinions out there. Everybody has a lot to say. But we need to be anchored to the Word of God. If it's not the Word of God, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to discuss it. I'm not talking about it. For though I am away from you in body, yet I am with you in spirit, delighted at the sight of your standing shoulder to shoulder in such orderly array, and the firmness and the solid front and steadfastness of your faith in Christ, that leaning of the entire human personality on Him in absolute trust and confidence in His power, wisdom, and goodness. As you have therefore received Christ, even Jesus the Lord, so walk and regulate your lives and conduct yourself in union with and conformity to Him. Have the roots of your being firmly and deeply planted in Him, fixed and founded in Him, being continually built up in Him, becoming increasingly more confirmed and established in the faith, just as you were taught and abounding and overflowing in it with thanksgiving. You know, we are the branches of the vine, and the branches only have life as long as they're connected in to the vine and to those roots. And so we need to stay connected into to the Lord. I mean, he's talking here, the, 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 the words that he's using, you know, to be, to be conformed, to be to our roots, the very core of our being, firmly, deeply planted, fixed, founded, continually built, increasingly more confirmed, established in Him. You can see it. It's, it's not just a foundation. It's, it's every aspect of our being. It's like our spiritual DNA is one with His spiritual DNA. You know, we, we become one with Him. The only way you do that is through His Word, taking His Word into your heart, into your life. See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you captive by his so-called philosophy, philosophy and intellectualism and vain deceit, idle fancies and plain nonsense, following human tradition or men's ideas of the material 
rather than the spiritual world, just crude notions following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Christ the Messiah. So anything that starts going off in some this idea and that idea that's not founded in God's word and based on what God says, don't even, don't even go there. Don't even come down to their level. Don't even argue with them. You waste your time. Just walk away. You know, if people are open to hear and learn and it's, not, it's good to have a good discussion and iron sharpens iron and you maybe can learn something and, and, and uh, you know, when you get challenged, maybe it's good for you if you don't know the answer to go back and study and search and, you know, it can be a, a growing experience. But if, if people are not interested in the truth, they just want, you know, just their version of it, don't even argue. Just say, you know what, you're entitled to your opinion and, you know, let's just agree to disagree. But, but don't, don't let people with all kinds of, because they'll come with all kinds of intellectualism and, and try to say all this stuff to you and get you all confused. You just go back to the word. Just go back to the Word. Go back to the Word and go with what you have a peace in your heart about. For in Him, the whole fullness of the deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. And you are in Him, made full and having come to fullness of life in Christ. You too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and reach full spiritual stature. And He is the head of all rule and authority of every angelic principality and power. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, but in a spiritual circumcision performed by Christ by stripping off the body of the flesh, the whole corrupt carnal nature with its passions and lusts. Let me just say something there about angels, and and hopefully you've received this already in school, but if you haven't, we are created higher than the angels. As for our, our born-again position, the redeemed. Angels are created beings. Their job is to obey whatever God says they're to do. That's why there's no redemption for the devil because when he disobeyed and he said, I'm going to put my throne above the throne of God, there is, he was not entitled to do that. Iniquity was found in him. He was cast out of heaven and a third of the angels with him. There is no redemption for the devil. I don't care what anybody says. And there are people today that are taking the message of grace to the nth degree because there is no grace without repentance. There's no forgiveness without repentance. But thank God there is grace. Now we need that message preached about grace. We need the message preached about the love of God and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation because there's so much religious tradition in in church, in, in, in certain cultures, so much religious tradition, so much judgment, so much, um, you know, they, they try to, to make everybody fit into this box, fit into a mold. It's all about do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. But that's not God's plan for us. God's plan is that we be recreated from the inside out in life and freedom. It's not about putting restrictions putting a box on the outside and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't move this way and you can't move that way and you can't say this and you can't look like that and you can't... It's not about that. It's about freedom but having our boundaries on the inside. Amen. About having, you know, yes, there are boundaries are good. Boundaries are good, but prison's not. <laughs> prison's only for the disobedient, not for the, the believer. And so religion is like a, is like a prison. But we are the redeemed. We are 
better than angels. Angels are our ministering servants, there to minister for us, with us, there to protect us, to carry out, you know, to help us as we serve the Lord. So we are not circumcised with a circumcision made with hands, but a spiritual circumcision, circumcision of the heart, performed by Christ by stripping off the body of the flesh, the whole corrupt carnal nature with its passions and lusts. Thus you were circumcised when you were buried with him in your baptism, in which you were all raised with him to a new life through your faith in the working of God, the working God displayed when he raised him up from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, your sensuality and your sinful carnal nature, God brought to life together with Christ, having freely forgiven us of our transgressions, having canceled and blotted and wiped away the handwriting of the note. Now, um, let me just stop there and say this. There's, there's several baptisms. There's your baptism into Christ. That's the new birth. There's your baptism in water. Something happens when you're baptized in water, which you're not going to get into the whole thing right now. And if you've been baptized, you heard the teaching. But there's, there's a stripping away. There's something that happens in your mind. There's something that, 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 that obedience of the water baptism, it's not just a ritual. There's actually something that happens. It's like a, the wraps get pulled off, the, the, whatever that, the bondage in your mind gets washed away as you, in obedience, go under that water and come back up and your identity changes. Amen. You're not a sinner, now you're a believer. And then there's a baptism into the Holy Spirit, which is a separate thing. Now, of course, you could do all three on the same, at the same time, no problem. <laughs> we, we've, had, we've taken people in waters of baptism, baptized, and they came up speaking in other tongues, you know, and, and um, you know, I got saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost the same day, and baptized in water one week later. So, you know, it, it's, there's no hard, fast rule, it's just, but there, there, are, there are three baptisms. Now, 14, having, having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note, with its legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us and hostile to us, this notes with its regulations, decrees, and demands, he set aside and cleared completely out of our way by nailing it to his cross. Um, it was, that note was like, in those days, if you owed somebody, it was, it was this note that was written down. You know, it's kind of like, um, many of you are young, maybe you've never paid for a car or completely paid for something, but if you you, you have a title, say, to your car, and you're making the payments on your car. When you pay the car off, they send you the piece of paper, and you can do whatever you want with that piece of paper. It's yours. The car is yours. It belongs to you. The bank doesn't hold any claim to it. Nobody else holds any claim. It completely belongs to you. If, when there was something owed, there was this piece of paper that was against them saying, you owe it, you owe it, you owe it, you owe it. This is a debt you haven't paid. And what Jesus did was he took that note that had all our sin on it, and he nailed it to the cross, and he said, I'm taking care of it. I'm paying for it. Amen. That's what's talking about the note. God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them um, in him and in it, in the cross. Therefore, let no one sit in judgment on you in matters of food and drink with regard to a feast day, a new moon, or a Sabbath. So Jesus took care of all the principalities and powers when he, when, when he died and when he rose again. We now, in the name of Jesus, have authority over the devil. Of course, Pastor Rodney was talking to you about this present glory, so I'm not going to get too much into that. But 
you know, people make a huge big deal about the principalities and the powers. We have authority over them. They would love to think that we're afraid of them. They would love for us to magnify them in our own mind. And the fact of the matter is we can't take them lightly either. Don't ever underestimate the devil. Don't ever underestimate the demons. Have a healthy respect for his evilness and his deception and his desire to kill you and destroy your life. Have a healthy respect for that. No. So we don't, we don't treat those things lightly and mock him and think it's funny. We have that healthy respect, but we know on the inside of us, we have authority over him. And what did Jesus tell the disciples? Don't rejoice that devils are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So the fact that devils are subject to you is just, they just are because of Jesus, because of the name of Jesus. They're not subject to you because you're something special. You're nothing. You're nobody. But washed in the blood of Jesus, using the name of Jesus, that's where the power is. It's all about Jesus and not about you. So never, ever take the credit. Never feel like you're something special because you have authority over the devil. You only have it through grace, through God's grace. And you've got to protect yourself and keep your heart right. Don't think you can go mess with devils if you have sin in your life because you expose yourself. You, if, if you're going to go get people delivered and, and you make sure your heart's in the right place. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. None of us are perfect. But make sure that your heart is right. Make sure that you're not carrying you know, sin in your heart and doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. I mean, I, we, had a, we had a Portuguese mechanic that we brought to church one time. And uh, um, he worked for my father in my father's garage. And he was full of the devil. He was a violent temper. He wasn't a very tall guy, but he was, you know, he was kind of sturdy and, and he could really hurt some people. And uh, he was full of the devil. He was violent. He was violent, you know, in his home. He was, anyways, we, his wife got born again and it took him a while, you know, before he came to church. Anyway, we got him to come to church. He walked in. And um, the moment that he did, the, the worship leader immediately started uh, taking authority over the devil. I mean, he felt him walk in the, in the place. And the place could hold about, about 800 people. I think it was in the beginnings of when I first got born again, in the beginnings of uh, the church I was part of in, in South Africa. I mean, I got saved in a revival in South Africa. And um, they carried on singing, and he went sat in his seat. They started singing, I love you with the love of the Lord. And as the love of Jesus, you could feel it in the place. As the love of Jesus got poured out, people were going around shaking hands, giving each other a hug, saying, I love you in the name of Jesus. Th- these devils just finally couldn't handle it anymore. They could not deal with the presence of God. They were so antsy. They were on fire. They were freaking out. He let out this blood-curdling yell, and he went as stiff as a board and just, Wah! I mean, the whole place was like, <laughs> and, um, but what was interesting was that normally he would, when those things would take him over, he would get violent and lash out. And it's like he couldn't. It's like the angels just pinned him down and he couldn't budge. They carried him out like he was on a stretcher. So they took him out and they took him out to the, it was in a, they were using a, a cinema theater. And they took him down into the manager's office and there were about six guys. They cast the devil out of him, got him free. His wife was at home, actually. She said every window pane in her house was rattling when he got delivered. And there was a minister there that he looked at him and he actually told him, I can't remember exactly what he said to him, but, he, but the devil in this guy just said something to this guy, but I'm going to get you, basically. 
And what happened was this, this pastor ended up having a fight with, they were, he was like co-pastoring with the, other, with the main pastor. They ended up having a fight and the main pastor told him, you know, get out and never come back. And honestly, they were both wrong. They both had a bad attitude. And, um, but what happened was this man, between the man and his wife, they developed, they got offended, they got upset, they got mad. They were, they were wanting the main pastor to come apologize to them. And the main pastor was expecting them to apologize. Everybody was expecting the other person to apologize. But the fact of the matter is they, got, they, got, they allowed bitterness into their heart. They got angry and they got bitter. And Pastor Rodney and I, we were young. We were, I think when this happened, we weren't even married yet. Um, and then we, we got married and, and we, we worked with this guy and we, we really wanted to help them and we really wanted to see a reconciliation between them and we wanted to see things restored. But we started realizing that they were not, they were not interested in walking in peace. They were just, they, they have to come and apologize to us and that's it. And you know, when we realized that they weren't going to change and that they weren't going to humble themselves, we realized we shouldn't be here. We, we can't have a part of this. They, they're not going to humble themselves. They're not going to go back and apologize. They're not, you know, it, they're not going to even let the thing go. And so we said, we love you, and, and we left, and we didn't really have much contact with them. And um, they were actually Americans in South Africa. They ended up coming back here. I heard they got a divorce. I heard he died in his 50s. And, um, you know, I, I just really felt really bad for them, and, but there was nothing that we could do. And the devil came in and took him out and destroyed his life because he allowed bitterness to come in. Bitterness will destroy. It'll destroy individuals. It'll destroy communities of believers. It'll destroy families. We, we have to, we've got to protect our heart from being bitter. And, and bitterness, we don't go one step into bitterness. It's, it's more of a, you know, it starts off with anger or, or being upset or being hurt or being offended. It's some other emotion initially. And that thing, if it's not dealt with, ends up in bitterness. People might be bitter against someone else for what they did. People might be bitter against God because their life didn't turn out the way they thought and God didn't do what they wanted, you know. I mean, some people treat God like some kind of a slot machine, you know. We just shove a few prayers in and press the, the thing and then God's got to spit, you know, all this, these blessings out on you. And you know what, life just doesn't work like that. You get, you get out of it what you put into it. And um, you know, I, I, I was just, just reading yesterday that um, there was a, actually a psychologist, not even a Christian, but he was saying, he was talking about life being difficult. And he said, life is difficult and he said, um, people who have a belief that life is supposed to be easy, that life is supposed to be wonderful and happy and a bed of roses and, and you know, are always going to have a tough time. But the people who accept that life is difficult and then they focus on meeting every challenge as it comes are the happy people. Amen. And so we need to realize, we need to teach our children, life isn't easy, life is hard. Don't tell your kids life is wonderful and it should always be wonderful for you. And that's what you're telling your kid when you, when you, you know, smooth out the path before them. And you make everything easy and you always come to their rescue. You're telling your kid that life is and should be easy and that everything, only wonderful things should happen to them. No, life is tough. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is even crappy. 
Amen. Because stuff happens. And it happens whether you're saved or you're not. But at least if you're saved, you've got Jesus to look to. You've got him to turn to. Amen. At least if you're saved, you've got the word of God to stand on. He's my rock. He's my refuge. He's my strength. At least if you're saved, you have the fruit of the Spirit to help you get through that thing. At least if you're saved, you can pray and God can do miracles. At least if you're saved, God can heal your broken heart. He can restore what, and, and, uh, to you what the devil's stolen. Amen. So we need to wake up and smell the coffee and realize that life is a series of challenges. Get over it and get on with it. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, I went to God when Kelly was born with cystic fibrosis. And I said, because it's genetic, both parents have to carry it. It's a recessive genetic thing. So the kid only gets it if both parents carry it. And if every child you have is a one in four chance of having it. And I said to the Lord, Lord, you put us together supernaturally. Why did you put us together to be married if you knew that we, every child that we have could have cystic fibrosis? And he said, you could have had her and not had me. And I realized there's a lot of people out there that have children with cystic fibrosis and cancer and and all kinds of diseases and all kinds of challenges and they don't have Jesus. I don't know how they make it. Life is crummy. Life is nasty. Life throws stuff at you that's not fun or pleasant. But thank God we have him. Amen. And in the middle of every situation, whether it is some mess we made or whether it's just something that we have nothing to do with, I can't help the body I'm born into. Neither can Pastor Rodney, neither could Kelly. But thank God we have Jesus. And thank God we had her for 18 wonderful years because we have Jesus. Because Kelly should have only made it to three years old. But Kelly made it to 18. And she lived until she died. And she had a vision for her life. And the first time she ever thought about dying was 12 hours before she actually went. And even when she went, Pastor Rodney sent her with a vision, with, with, with a, something to do, with a goal, with a name, with a purpose. Go to Jesus and tell him you need new lungs. And when I left her there in the hospital on the bed, well, her body, she was, she was gone, but she left her body there. I heard the Lord say, no regrets. No regrets. Amen. We have to live. Live your life. Stop living in the past. Stop waiting for something else in the future. Live now. Enjoy your life now. Love the people around you now. Amen. Enjoy your relationships now. Enjoy your life. Enjoy wherever you are right now. Enjoy your kids, whatever age they are, right now. Enjoy them. Amen. Let's go back to verse 16. Therefore, let no one sit in judgment on you in matters of food and drink or with regard to a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath. Such things are only the shadow of things that are to come. And they have only a symbolic value. But the reality, the substance, the solid fact of what is foreshadowed, the body of it belongs to Christ. Let no one defraud you by acting as an umpire and declaring 
you unworthy and disqualifying you for the prize, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, taking his stand on visions and claims he has seen, vainly puffed up by sensuous notions and inflated by his unspiritual thoughts and fleshly conceit. So the things, the, all those things, the, the food and the new moon and the Sabbath and all those things, God established those things as a pattern, as a type and a shadow. He, he established those things so that they would pass them down from generation to generation. He established the law so they would pass it down from generation to generation and that they would, you know, it's like they did those things, but they actually forgot why they were doing those things. But they were all just things, fleshly things, things on the outside, symbolic things, so that when the spiritual came, they would recognize it. You know, even when Jesus was was crucified, he was the Lamb of God crucified for the sins of the world. He was, there was, I don't know if any of you have ever, I don't know if they've done this already in Bible school with blood covenant or anything like that, but there was a ritual that, that they carried out during Passover where they, they got the lamb three days before. They inspected it for three days. It had to be perfect. It had to be nothing wrong with it. And how, how the high priest had to take it. And there was all the stuff they had to do. And then they had to shed the blood. Then they had to put the blood, this blood here and that blood there. And, and then they had to, had to burn the whole thing and burn it all up with everything in it. And it was all symbolic. And that all happened to Jesus. Three days, three days before Passover, they took him into custody. For three days, they scrutinized him. For three days, they could find nothing wrong with him. The high priest was the one that gave the order, crucify him. The high priest is the one that sacrificed him. The Romans carried it out, but the, the high priest was the one that gave him over, the Lamb of God. And he was crucified. His blood was poured out. He, he was burned but he rose again. Amen. Because Jesus went into hell. That's where the devil was to defeat the devil. He went into Sheol, hell, Gehenna. He was down there. Wherever we were supposed to go, he went down there and took our place and rose again in victory. So we can, he took our death so we could have his life. But it's all types and shadows for a, pa- for a purpose. It's not dead. It's alive. But under the new covenant, all of that has been done. It's done away with. Now, there's no longer any need, any need for types and shadows. No longer do we need the Ark of the Covenant. No longer do we need to shed the blood of bulls and goats. No longer do we need to hold fast to all these rituals. It needs to become real and alive on the inside of us. We are, we are living and walking with God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The law wasn't done away with. It was fulfilled which means under the new covenant, and, and that's a whole, nother, a whole nother subject, but, well, not quite a whole nother, but the Bible talks about don't let your liberty be an opportunity or an occasion for the flesh. In other words, because you're free and you don't have to do all these things, don't think that you're free to sin. We're not free to sin. We're free to serve God. We're free to love Him without rules and regulations. We're free to love Him every day. Every day is a Sabbath for us. Every day is Christmas Day. Every day we can have communion with Him. We're not restricted to just certain days and trying to keep our flesh under because we're an unregenerate being. Jesus lives on the inside of us. All of this now is on the inside of us and coming out and changing us from the inside out. So it's talking here, just watch out for these people who insist on self-abasement. You know, there's people that 
that try, um, you look at all the monks and how the monk, they wouldn't speak or they wouldn't eat or they would only eat certain things. Um, um, you know, uh, uh, and I'm talking about like in the so-called Christian religions because there's monks of other religions. But um, when you look at a lot of the stuff that they do, it's very similar to the other religions whose God is not alive, whose God is dead. You know, the Bible talks about prayer, and it says, it says don't think that your prayers will be heard because you say them over and over and over and over and over again the same prayer. Like the heathen do, it says. And yet they, people have brought that into Christianity. Of, you know, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your prayers are not heard because you say them over and over. God is not moved by you saying something over and over. God's not even moved by the size of your problem or the tears that you cry. He's not moved. He's moved by your faith. Basically, it's all court of law. This is the law. This is how it works. Go to the, go to the court. Say, it says this here. I'm claiming it. I have a right to it. Okay, done deal. Amen. Amen. Yeah. It's not about or nagging or whining or anything. It's about faith. It's about standing up and saying, this is my right, and I'm, and I'm taking it. So don't be, don't be deceived by people who, you know, these people talking about angels and worship of angels, and, you know, we don't worship angels, because the devil can appear as one and pretend to be, and so if you worship, the devil, the devil wants your worship more than anything. More than anything, he wants the humans to, humans to worship him. We will not degrade ourselves. We're made in the image of God, and him alone we worship. We will not worship angels. Don't, don't follow somebody who's, who's arrogant, who's full of himself. Don't follow someone who's preaching one thing and not living it. Don't follow people who are on the pulpit preaching and having miracles, but behind the scenes they're getting drunk, they're, they're committing adultery, they've got a filthy mouth. Don't listen to them, don't follow them. The problem is a lot of us, we don't see the behind the scenes, just see the person on the platform. But surely your, your spirit would tell you, something's not right with this picture. That doesn't mean you walk away and criticize, you just walk away and say, you know what, everything looks wonderful, but something doesn't feel good. So I'm gonna just... Be careful. Listen, I beg you, listen to, your Holy, uh, to the Holy Spirit. Listen to your heart. Don't disobey the heart and try and reason it out in your head. That's where you're going to get messed up. And holding fast to the head from whom the entire body supplied and knit together by means of its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If then you have died with Christ to material ways of looking at things and have escaped from the world's crude and elemental notions and teachings of externalism, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to rules and regulations such as do not handle this, do not taste that, do not even touch them, referring to all, all to things which perish which be, with being used? To do this is to follow human precepts and doctrines. Let me say something about something like fasting. You know, or, or prayer, or anything we do as a ritual. Uh, you know, 
there's a lot of people that, that, that preach that you've got to get up in the morning and you've got to, you have to pray for so many hours and you've got to, um, you know, or you've got, to fa- you've got to fast and you've got to do this and you've got to, it's all rules and regulations. Listen, you know, we need to get the word into our heart and life. However you do that, that's between you and God. You know, get in the Word. Make sure you get in the Word every day. Maybe you're not a morning person. Maybe before you go to bed, you like to pray and get in the Word. That's fine. You don't have to, if you're not a morning person, you don't have time in the morning, you don't feel condemned all day because you didn't have your morning, your quiet time in the morning. Have it when you come home. Have it in the middle of the night. And if you wake up and you can't go to sleep, you know, go pray, go get in the Word. Just spend time with God every day. Live with Him. Pray wherever you are. Be talking to Him all the time. Because there's a lot of people that, that, you know, it's like they separate their life out and they're doing all this stuff in their life that's ungodly and not right. And then over here, oh no, for 30 minutes I pray every day. 30 minutes I confess. 30 minutes, you know, I read or, or whatever. And they have this whole rule and regulation and God to them is all about rules and regulations. And, and it's, it's not. It's about life. It's about loving Him. It's about serving Him. It's about just, you know, enjoying His, his presence. And let me say this about fasting. Fasting doesn't move God. Fasting doesn't twist God's arm. You know what fasting does? It gets your body quiet, gets you into a place of submission where you can hear what He's saying to you. Fasting is for your benefit to get you focused off of the things of the world, the appetites of the flesh, and focused on God to hear from Him. It's not about simply beating up your body. God doesn't expect us. I mean, there's, hey, you have all these people like at Easter time in the Philippines and in India and, all, and, and their, with their religions, and they take, there are people that, that crucify themselves. There, there are people that, that will, will beat themselves till they bleed. And then when it, when it seals up, they'll actually like do stuff to it again to like open it back up so it keeps bleeding. And, and it's like they think this is going to make them better on the inside or score them points with their God. That's what this is talking about. This is talking about there is nothing you can do in the flesh to please God. Amen. Referring to all things which perish with being used. So let's, then verse 23. Such practices have indeed the outward appearance that popularly passes for wisdom in promoting self-imposed rigor of devotion and delight in self-humiliation and severity of discipline of the body, but they are of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh or the lower nature. Instead, they do not honor God, but serve only to indulge the flesh. So in other words, people will do things in the flesh. You remember how Jesus said, if you, when you're fasting, he said, Take a shower, put clean clothes on, anoint your head with oil, and go out there and act normal. Because the Pharisees would put these, you know, sackcloth and ashes on and, and dirt on their head and walk around and, oh, I'm fasting. Look at me. I'm so spiritual. Oh. Ew, make you want to throw up. <laughs> but that's what they were dealing with at that time. I mean, you, you read the Pharisees. You read how they talked about people. Who, who do, what do these people know? They just rabble. They don't know anything. They're uneducated. Rabble. We're the educated. We know what's going on. We the spiritual. Listen to us. Don't listen to them. 
That's what religion does for you. That's what happens when you start with all this outward fleshly stuff. You get puffed up. You get arrogant. You feel like you're really something because you, you get up and you pray every day for so long and you confess and you, and you march and you fast and you blah, 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 and you do this and you do that. If anything you do makes you feel arrogant, you better step back and look at why you're doing it. Amen. God just wants us to be normal. Jesus was just normal. Jesus related to normal people. But the, the religious people and, and, and these just arrogant, ridiculous people just couldn't relate to Jesus at all. I mean, he, because he showed them up for what they were. He, in his presence, their hearts were revealed. That's why they hated him. That's why they wanted to get rid of him. They didn't want people to see what was in their heart. They wanted people to look on the outside and all this facade that they'd built. But God looked on the heart, and when Jesus was there, they were exposed, and they didn't want to be exposed. You know, religion, religion probably persecutes the truth of the freedom of the gospel more than the devil does. Amen. Because the truth exposes them for what they are. Many people use religion as power to control people. What about all the, all the wars that have been waged? Holy wars. The, one of the best ways to control people is through their belief system. Their religious beliefs. Or their, their world view. If you can put a passion in someone to believe something, you can get them to do anything. You won't have to ask them to give their life. They'll offer. Look at all the wars where people have committed suicide, been thrown themselves, died. For what? They wouldn't do that just for a country. They'd do it for a belief. For something that, something in them that they connect with, something, in, something higher than them that they feel a part of and that they're going to be rewarded. For, for whatever. They feel like they're going to be rewarded for this. So it's no good to have self-control and self-discipline if your heart and your core attitudes are untouched and unchanged and unmoved. Religion is circumcision of the flesh, but righteousness is circumcision of the heart. All religion does is make people hard-hearted. It's not about circumcision of the flesh. It's about the circumcision of the heart. Religion always focus out, focuses on the outside and ignores the inside. Listen, there are Pharisees in, in, every, in every generation, and Jesus, Jesus had his. The Pharisees that harassed Jesus were, were religious, but they were not righteous. If they were righteous, they would have recognized Jesus for who he was. And you cannot be both. You cannot be religious and righteous. Your salvation is either a free, a free gift or it's on your own merits. And of course, if your salvation is based on your own merits, if you think it is, you're deceived because there is no salvation apart from God. So we need to be always forever grateful. Gratefulness is a key component to keeping a humble heart. Always grateful to God for his free gift.